It's the Deadline Junkies Screenwriting Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Emiola, Kirsten Porter, and Rand Shammy. All right. Our guests today are Dan Greger and Doug Mann, screenwriters of the Disney Plus film Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers, and TV writers for shows such as Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, How I Met Your Mother, and a whole lot more. Welcome, Dan and Doug. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank for you for coming. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to start at the very beginning and then catch up to present day. So our first question for you is, where did it all start? What made you want to write or create content? Oh, it started from everything. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I had terrible stage fright as a kid. And um, and uh, like I, I, I ran off stage crying during like the middle school play one time. Um, and... Um, and so it was a big problem for me. Like I always had a lot of anxiety about it. And then, uh, and then I eventually like realized I needed to uh, confront those fears. And, um, and I got into the nerdiest of all things, which is high school sketch comedy. Um, and, um, and like my senior year of high school, I, I started doing like the, the high school sketch group. And, um, and I started like performing that in like this very like I was always a funny kid but I was never like a, a get on stage kind of funny person and uh and so I uh I sort of forced myself to get through that fear and then even much more so I started doing improv and sketch comedy in college and it was it it, it really I could see how it was like making me a better person and it was making me able to t- talk to strangers talk to people be more confident all the things you kind of you know tell people to get into like a, a first level improv class for and it's actually how doug and i ended up meeting it's in like a writing class at nyu but we started a sketch group together and um but that that remains still sort of this safety valve i have on on my inclinations towards um, towards isolation and depression and uh, just introversion, and so that the 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 performance side of it, the comedy side of it, is uh, probably the the biggest way that I sort of fight those things. Um, and so it's so I always find that like that's like my own internal balance of like I have to I have to go pre- be creative out loud with people. Um, Otherwise, I will I will like start just like scrunching up into a ball and never talking to people. Uh, I love that story. Um, yeah, I I also I I was not scared of being on stage. It was one of the only things I was not scared of, and currently still I'm not scared of. I like being on stage. I like performing. Uh, I like making people laugh. Um, I did not think I was ever going to be a writer. I Oh, you know, I just, I thought that I was not intellectual enough to be a writer. I thought I would be in some kind of performing or acting. And um, I went to college. I went to Skidmore for two years and I, and I saw the sketch team perform and I was like, I want to do that audition, got in. And then when I tried to transfer to NYU, I met Dan in a writing class and um, he said, come on and audition for my sketch group. And that was kind of my way into it. And then realizing very quickly that just being an actor is an awful thing to try to do and start producing for yourself. And that's what kind of led me into writing and kind of learning how to write uh, sketch and then TV and features in, in that kind of order and seeing, uh, and then just growing to really love that even more than performing and wanting that more. Awesome. So we know you're both at UCB. Did you do a lot of crossover there? Did you join together? Oh yeah, just, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Dan had discovered I, it before. I was there. I was there. I like actually transferred. I went for my freshman year to Brandeis University in in Boston, and um, having a terrible time, really depressed. And uh, and I visited a friend at NYU for the weekend, uh, and he was like, "Hey, you got to come to this theater and check out this this thing that I found." And it was like still. I mean, it was it wasn't even in the theater on Twenty Sixth Street, if you remember that. It was it was actually still at the old strip club on 22nd Street and uh, even more of a, a dirt hole, you know, kind of a black box. And um, and I went and I and it was and it really was like a, I, some people have religious awakenings. I had like an emotionally like creative religious awakening because I, I, I went 
I saw like some of the teams there. It was like the old Respecto Montalban team. It was like Rob Briggle and Rob Ubel and, and Paul Shear and that kind of crew. And I remember, and I left that show like that one weekend and I instantly went home and I downloaded the transfer application to NYU. And I was like, that's, that's it. That's what I'm doing. And, uh, and I went back to, to Boston that weekend and I, and I filed to transfer. And the moment I got to New York, I started taking classes at UCB, started performing there. And, um, and it was like, it, it just gave me a real center of gravity and a real purpose. Um, and basically Doug and I started the sketch group at NYU called Hammercats. And we sort of brought that sketch group over to UCB when we graduated and, um, and UCB became everything to us for a long time. Um, it was sort of, it was our creative home. It was our, it was where all our friends were. It was where we were both learning and cutting our teeth and, and, you know, making stuff constantly. We had a show, we had an hour long show, uh, every Friday for a year where, you know, it, it, crazy how much time they actually gave us to, to, to fill. And, uh, and so the amount of just stuff that we were doing constantly was, uh, you know, was, was wild and it was amazing. And so, um, and so that became like where all of our best relationships still are to this day. Our, uh, for many years, our third writing partner was Adam Pally. Um, we, we made many, many pilots and shows and sketches with him and, um, and we've been, uh, you know, just sort of in in that world uh, ever since. Yeah, awesome. I came through Dan, and then when I saw it, I also had a a religious experience. I remember being, the first show I saw. I remember who was on stage. Some of those people I became very close with. I was could not believe what I was watching, uh, and I quickly applied to be an intern. And I spent over a year working there uh, every Friday night, uh, shoveling shit, cleaning, <laughs> cleaning toilet. <laughs> Cleaning toilets, selling tickets, and it was one of the fighting most off the life. rats. Yeah, it was. A, yeah, no, it was a disgusting place, but absolutely. The it was also the best. We were very. Our, there are certain things you can't control. We were lucky. The timing of us being at UCB at the time was was just perfect because it had only just started being discovered a little bit, and there was just so much talent there, and mm-hmm. just people cutting their teeth and becoming the performers that you see today. But we were just there, and I was, and I, and I spent every one of my weekends there for six hours a night. So it was great. Did did most of the people um, that you, you came up with at UCB? Did most of them go on to have some sort of TV job? Uh, uh really most, surprising. Most is a hard one because the number because the number of TV jobs out there are uh, can be depressingly low. However, a wild amount of people. Yes. I mean, the answer is kind of yes, which is, is shocking. Uh, it's, it's, it's shocking how many people have found, uh, themselves able to support themselves doing comedy in some form or another. It's, it's wild. Our sketch group, our sketch group alone had Donald Glover who became obviously, you know, a big guy. Uh, and, uh, a big guy, the understatement of the year. I know. I don't know. He's not, you know, he's, he's everything. We went to Um, NYU with him and he was in our, in our group. Um, and uh, and then Fran Gillespie became you know one of the long term SNL writers forever. She just left. She's a brilliant writer and DC Pearson, Dominic Durkis, and um, also very successful writers. And Greg Burke, Lou Perez are, are brilliant sketch comedians. And that was our first group, Hammercat. And that was and, just and that was just our group, our col- and like which is also very rare for a college sketch group to go on uh, to produce working writers um, and actors. It's, so yes. So it was a rich, our very first pilot that we kind of shot by ourselves uh, was with uh, Ellie Kemper before she did any sort of any major stuff. And so we're, it, it was, a, it was like a really special time to like be coming up through UCB because everyone was sort of, it was a real locus for, for talented people from all over the kind of country because people were just kind of coming, just hearing about it. Like it was still weird enough that there wasn't necessarily uh, like a, a, corporatized nature to to how people were looking to to make their bones there it wasn't like an alternative to acting school or something uh which it is sort of now in its own weird way it, it was it just was, yeah for lack of for, you know not to sound lame but there was there was a very punk rock element to to ucb then it was a real like fuck it put it on stage and go for it attitude then and it was uh especially before people started getting plucked 
from there mm -hmm. but even after but like but that there was a there was a real period of time when like there was just an obscene amount of talent there and and everyone was still struggling to make ends meet you know by doing vh1 talking head shows and stuff like that mm -hmm. so that was that was the best you could. And that was the best. Like, that was the best job you could like, have. You're like, I made it. I I got to comment on uh, you know on Britney Spears's outfit as a talking head on VH1. That's that's where my career. If I don't do another thing, I'll be happy. That was the pinnacle. <laughs> <laughs> so coming through UCB, what were some of the challenges you faced? I mean, the thing that we found really was that nobody pays you for that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so you, at a certain point, you're like, oh, this is the most fun thing in the world. Um, but, but I, I, uh, at some point need to figure out like, well, how am I going to continue to pay my rent with this? Um, and so, so, you know, Doug and I really worked to, to, we were, you know, start making short films and, and sketches that we could hopefully, you know, sell in some way or another. And so it turned that, into that a was, format that wasn't sketch. I think that was the big thing. We we're like, you know, we're not going to, we're probably not going to get a sketch show. There's a handful of sketch shows. They do happen. I'm not saying it can't happen for people out there, but it is a real narrow, small group of people. So we were like, we're not, you know, we would, we would take meetings. People would see our shows and they like us, but no one would know what the fuck to do with us. So mm -hmm. Dan and myself, and I was living with Adam Pally at the time we made a real concerted effort to be like, what can we make that will be a calling card to say like, we can make television, we can make so, and that's what we started to do. We started to shoot things and make sketches that we felt could be part of a larger narrative, uh, could be part of a show, could be the first 10 minutes of a movie, whatever it, that may be. And we used our community of comedians that we knew and filmmakers that we knew from school to start going out and making things. So. The challenges, I mean, we, you know, we lived a very charmed existence, you know, being able to go to NYU and, and, and be at UCB. The challenges were just business challenges of like, well, how do you actually turn this into a career? Were um, you, when you were at UCB, were you going to college as well? Or was there a time where you were UCB trying to, you know, that transition from college to real life? And like, you're talking about yeah. money and what do you do? I mean, I remember, yeah, we started, we were, we started at UCB while we were in college, but I very painfully remember when I had to move back in with my parents after college and I, you know, and I just like, I just had a full on like panic attack. I was like, oh, oh, like the free ride's over. Like I, I am, I'm back home. I'm living where I really thought I'd never have to live again. Um, and, uh, and I was making and I, and I and and I had committed myself to like well my career is comedy and I'm gonna make comedy and I was very lucky that my parents were letting me stay at their house for free but I wasn't very lucky it was terrible um, no one's really live blah 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 no one's lucky to move back in with their parents um, and so I, you know it, there there's a real existential fear that you're going to be a, a little infantilized baby the rest of your life living with mommy and daddy. And so uh, it was something that I very distinctly remember being like, this is, this is crazy. I'm like, I'm, I'm making almost no money and I'm just going into the, the, the city every day to go make more sketch comedy for no money. And, um, and it, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely really scary um, to, to just sort of put your faith in, in like, is gonna work out, is gotta work out. Um, and it's, uh, you know, uh, eventually, uh, preparation meets, meets luck. And, uh, and that's called opportunity. Totally, you put your faith in it. And here it is, it happened. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Thank so thank you for taking us down this walk down your UCB memory lane. Thank you, thank you. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> thank you for letting us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We always want to know where our guests come from and where they start. Uh, but to shift gears to something more recent, uh, your latest film, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, comes out in a few days. How did you both uh, end up writing on that project? Um, we. You want me to take a little of this, Dan, and then you uh... go for it. Yeah. Um, well, okay. I, I also I, I looked at what you guys do. It's really cool what you guys with deadline junkies do. I didn't know. Um, so 
I imagine that this is a pretty specific group of people that listen to this as well. So just to take you behind the curtain a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, we had been, wor- we had been working for a little while. We had been on how I met your mother. We were taking meetings and you get, then you get to a place sometimes if you're lucky enough to get to talk about open writing assignments, which are properties mm-hmm. that different uh, companies have the rights to, and they're like, we want to make a movie we want to make. And so that's one of them just happened to be the rescue Rangers at Disney. We had a meeting and initially actually Dan and I were not interested in, in, in meeting on it because we are, we love the rescue Rangers, loved it growing up, but we were like, why, why would we, what would be the, what, what would we be saying different about it? And to Disney's credit and to Mandeville, the company that produced it, Todd Lieberman and Alex Young, um, they were like, just pitch us any for anything you want. And let's just see. Like, and here's a little, uh, you know, Dan and I months before had gone in on a different open writing assignment and we worked our asses off on breaking an entire movie. For the Hardy get, Boys. We didn't get the job. And so this is out there to let people know that there's no, no work is for nothing. So then we were talking about it and we were like, you know, there's parts of that pitch that could fit quite nicely into rescue rangers and they're telling us to bring us whatever you want and so we we made a pitch around some some of the temples that we had come up for the hardy boys and and then built a different story um and pitched it and you know they liked it and they they paid us to write it and uh that's how we got our that's how it came about it was it was very unexpected uh we couldn't believe they kept in a business where you usually hear no, they kind of kept saying, do it, go for it. Uh, Cause it was kind of a property that had been dead really. And, and yeah, I mean the, the, and I get, I mean, look, I don't know where you got, I, I, I was a, I'm a, I'm an old millennial and I loved the rescue rangers growing up. And, uh, um, uh, and so I, I genuinely was. The proper term that? is geriatric millennial. Uh, that's offensive. Um, uh, I, my, it's, a, I, it's quite accurate, but it's offensive. I just, um, I just learned about this. I'm very excited of my new knowledge. No, don't, sorry, don't, 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 don't perpetuate that, please. We're right. keeping that uh, here. That's yeah. not, we're not going to make that a thing. A decrepillennial. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so it, it was, I was a fan of this, like very much growing up. Like I, I, I loved going to the parks, hugging Chip and Dale. Um, but but the real of it is, as adults, I imagine you guys probably maybe had this reaction the first time you heard about this movie was like, really, why? And like, it, there's not there's not like a, a an inherent need to make this a movie today, and uh, and that was the first thing we reacted to when we heard that they wanted to do this. We were like, uh, okay, um, but uh, but we took that sort of feeling and that energy into our thought process about how to come up with a movie and so the movie really is like based almost from the launching pad of of like does anyone need a rescue rangers reboot the original title of the movie was uh the chippendales rescue rangers reboot no one asked for um and so you know it's it's definitely it's deeply baked into the the pitch and the premise in the movie that like it's a that we, we're very aware that this is not the, like, you know, this isn't Star Wars. Like, nobody's, like, dying for, like, the next iteration of of It's of not Star, Star Wars. Universe. It's better than Star Wars. <laughs> oh. No. It's not. Doug it doesn't is. like Star Wars. Doug doesn't like Star Wars. We're just going to get it out on the record. <laughs> what about Star Trek? Uh, uh, Star Trek's fine. Like Star Trek. Nope. Uh, you're not really a Star fan. <laughs> it's not this, it's not this, I'm not against stars. Uh, you know, okay. any, anything in the constellation, I'm just, just, I, I, uh, okay. I, I, I rebel against the every writer's room we've ever been in Star Wars in, in the praying at the altar of Star Wars. That's what I have a, an issue with. Okay, okay, no. thanks for clarifying. <laughs> now, all half of your listeners are like, well, fuck this guy. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, uh, we'll like just bleep it out. <laughs> I saw space balls before I saw Star Wars. So well, that also might have fucked with my head a little bit because I was like, "Well, what? This is just an unfunny Star Wars. It's just an unfunny Spaceballs." So you know, it's like, <laughs> which is also blasphemy. I know to people, I, I I get Star Wars. I get it. I now I have dug myself in the fucking. I'm, I'm still questioning if you're against stars because that's a space, not a star. No, no, no. So. I'm totally not against stars. Yeah. I'm like, I guess I'm. I I'd say I'm more pro stars than anything else. 
Okay, um, okay. Doug hates Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's just, he's, he's brutal. No, I do not. I do not. I, I don't. He hates him. He hates him. Um, we're talking about it. But back to the movie. We wrote this movie <laughs> seven years ago, too. So wow. to give people a peek into this also. And it was dead many times, like most movies. Uh, and we, you know, and not through anyone's fault, really, that it was just like, uh, you know, Disney was like, they really liked it, but they're like, are we going to, is this movie going to get a $150 million budget? You know, probably not. And, and again, to some of our producers credit, they, they didn't let it die. And they, and they showed it to Akiva Schaefer three years ago, uh, our director, and he loved it. And he was like, I want to do this. And with that, uh, it gave it new life. And, uh, and, and Disney plus was and Disney plus I mean, like, existing. And it's so all of a sudden it created a marketplace where, where in previous world, you know, Disney is Disney, which is not just Disney, but also Pixar and Star Wars and Marvel. They have 52 slots a year for releasing movies. Um, that's it really like, you know, theatrical movies now with Disney plus, there's a lot more, there's a lot more slots. Um, and a different and so, range of budgets too. And right. a different range. And it doesn't have to necessarily, it can be a little more niche and like, um, yeah. so it really, I mean, that's the short uh, history of it, but it was, that was just a movie that we, you know, we got paid to write. It helped get us other jobs, but we didn't, at a certain point, we never expected anything to happen with it. And you kind of have to do that. You have to kind of let go of things in a certain way and move, move on. Um, but we always loved this script and we're really proud of it. And has it changed over seven years? What's that? Has it changed a lot? Yeah. Was it um, get, get, I mean, we, we've worked on so many, so many movies where, where we'll come in in the middle or the end or like that's a, that's, you know, normal enough in terms of like rewrites and stuff. But w this movie has certainly changed. I mean, you'd read, if you read the original script, you'd be like, oh, that scene's not there and this scene's different or whatever. But it, it's still basically the same movie. Um, there's a, which there's is like also a, shocking. Yeah. Shocking. Um, and that never happened in studio filmmaking then. And I, again, I got to give a lot of credit to Akiva, who was really just like, got what we were going for. And the movie is, is, is he just made it better. He just, he just, he took what we had done and just made it better and we collaborated with him. But it, the essence of that movie is, is what was on the page in the beginning, which is very rare. And we're really excited about there. I mean, Dan and I were looking at it and we're like, man, that, that joke is from the first draft. Yeah, which like is, the, which is really unhurt, which is just, and that's not to tutor on horns. That's just so many things have to go right for that to happen. So many things over seven years. I mean, everything, everything moves, and that's fine. Like it's fine for things to move and shift, especially when, especially once you hit production, you want things to improve and shift yeah. when you're like actually making the movie and you're editing the movie. Like, and in, a, in an animated movie where you can change your jokes a billion times. Um, well, after actual physical production, there's no reason not to like keep honing and honing and honing. But to Akiva's credit, you know, he, he was just very insistent on like protecting the things that were good and what worked. Um, and, and just made but, everything else better. Yeah. At, like, like significantly so. Like he really, like he was, uh, I think, I thank whatever you believe in every day. <laughs> thank God every day for <laughs> Akiva Schaefer. He really like came in and was just a dream to work with and, and just just got it and was so gracious with us too. Mm -hmm. so. uh, mashing, multiple mashing, yeah, mashing multiple animation styles with live action. <laughs> What's that like from a writing standpoint? Um, it was one of the more fun parts of the creation of the, of the world and the movie, to be honest. Like it was, you know, like no secret, like Roger Rabbit was a deep inspiration point. It's one of one of yeah. like my favorite movies of all time. Um, I like I'm obsessed with it. Um, uh, but one of the little observations we felt like we could really expand in this movie was to really think about um, how how animation styles themselves are sort of time stamped. And so the idea that like. Uh, you know, there's certain cartoons that like existed from a certain era and they'd be a certain age or they're from a certain place. Like there's a scene in our movie that takes place at like a Russian bathhouse. And so the animation styles in the background for some of those characters are like, are, are like crappy 1950s animation. And they, and one of the details about like that animation style is like they actually had less frames per, per, per minute because they didn't want to spend as much. And so 
Um, so like they have a sort of a more of a floating quality. They like move from from like one frame to the next a little slower, and you'll see you'll see like weird little details like that. And so we we really thought about like the the neighborhoods and the places that would be in our make believe Hollywood, um, where cartoons are are real people and real actors, and and tried to think about like okay like who's the who's the who's the young cool teen cartoon that would exist in this place? Who's the who's the old hat kind of like old Hollywood star that's been around forever? Um, and you know, and some of that stuff is very much in the movie, other stuff, others of those things are just like jokes in the background, things that are just details and texture and other stuff is like just part of the development of it. But we definitely, um, tried to think a ton about, about like animation style as a, as a signifier for who these characters are, um, and like what, what their personalities are like. Um, or to take those things and play play them as you know opposites. So that brings me to the next question: What type of cartoon character would you guys be? Oh, um, <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely had a, a Darkwing Duck impression for a good portion of my childhood, and that's always how I seen myself as a Darkwing Duck type. Um, I I won't break out the impression because I. I tried, I tried to bring it back and it was really bad. Um, um, that's my answer. There you go. I think that I, the first thing I thought of was, I don't know if anyone saw the animated Sword and Stone uh, yes. movie. Uh, I think about the character for that. Not the second half where he pulls the sword from the stone, but the, the weak part where he's having a trouble get, getting that sword out of the stone. I just... I think that also that 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 uh, I guess the, that nineteen. I don't know what year that was. That's seventies, uh, I think. 70s, no, maybe early eighties. Uh, I think eighties. Yeah. I really love that style, and um, I love how they uh, drew kind of weak, frail characters uh, uh, with floppy hair, uh, struggling to lift heavy things. Uh, that's <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> love that. Uh, so to shift topics a little, we know you have a lot of experience creating your own content. We talked a little bit about your sketches and shorts. Could you tell us some about Most Likely to Murder and, you know, your journey taking that to South by Southwest, if you submitted it to other festivals and what that was like for you guys? Yeah, um, we we started writing that, um, uh, you know, a couple years before. It was a big goal when we were leaving Having Your Mother that we were like, we really want to, like, make something a little more on our own and a little more independent. And, um, and so we started writing that sort of towards the end of uh, working there. Um, and it was, you know, always from the outset, we were like, well, let's really, we got to think about something that can be um, pretty contained and low budget. Um, so, um, you know, the, there's a, there's a storyline in that movie about like, about wanting to watch um uh, an old VHS tape and how hard it is to find a VHS player. Um, and that, like that, that was the whole movie for, for a while. We were like, Oh, what if it's just like a guy going around his old hometown looking for a VHS player? And that was, and eventually we realized like, that's not enough of a story. And so we started thinking about um, some, some ways to really beef up like plot and intrigue and, and momentum. And so it became a sort of a rear window story, which is, again like this wonderful sort of self-contained location where it's like really is about these two houses across the street from each other um and uh and so you know we wrote it and um we we're like we said we're, we're we've been best friends with adam pally forever and and rachel bloom uh is my wife and uh and she had just won a golden globe and it was very exciting time and people were excited to, to give us just a little bit of money. Um, and, you know, so we took it out, uh, well, frankly, we took it out to a ton of places and, and, uh, and nobody- For a while. For, for a, a while. while. For a while. And, no, and nobody bought it. Um, and nobody would finance it um, until Rachel won a Golden Globe. And so uh, Rachel won a Golden Globe and that, and that opened up some doors a little bit more. Um, and so, but no floodgates, not floodgates, no, not, no, a, yeah. not a knock on, not a knock on Rachel, but no floodgates were open. Well, we, as a, as a, as a specific that I'm sure like, you know, uh, up and coming filmmakers who are trying to make their own stuff, like 
maybe useful to know is like like we got an offer from uh from Sony uh Sony screen screen not screen gems uh the, their indie division Sony whatever classics Who knows if um, it, it actually does I think but anyway they were they were they were very nice they offered us uh they made an offer to us at, but you know we had budgeted the movie at um uh, like we were we had figured out we could get this down to like one a little over a million something like that that we really like pushed it we we knew we were going to film we thought we wanted to film in new york which is a little more expensive but has more access to obviously crew and talent um and so we we uh we figured a way we could get it down to like maybe 1.25 something like that and sony offered us like 600 and we were like ooh, that's that's really half of what we need at the at the low end but we were like but we were like you know that's that's just what the business is you're like we we're, we really are desperate to make this movie we got to make this movie we're gonna make it no matter what and so we uh we were we had basically agreed to it and it wasn't actually it wasn't even 600 what it was was 600 in in um in uh i believe it's called deficit financing is that the term basically they basically they told us we we could take out a loan for six hundred thousand dollars, and they would and they would guarantee to pay us back when the movie was made, and so like that's a whole other level of like risk where you're like, oh okay, I'm gonna take a six hundred thousand dollar loan to for an IOU from this studio basically. And, you know, and like our, uh, we talked to enough people that were like, yeah, that's a thing. People do that. And it, it's real. Like they'll, they'll pay you back. But if something goes wrong and you don't finish the movie, well, you're fucked. And so, um, nevertheless, we were like, we were in a place where we're like, well, we, we just, we're really passionate about this. We really desperately want to make this movie. And so we're, we're going to do it. And then, um, just like, just man, out of like, sheer luck we were we were going to sign that sony contract on a monday and the 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 friday before it we happened to be taking a meeting at lionsgate um to uh to do a rewrite on the monopoly movie um and uh and and we were like it's just a classic thing we were literally on like the elevator going down with the executive and uh, and we and he said, yeah, "What else are you guys working on?" And we're like, "Oh, we're we're about to sign this this thing to go make it a, a low budget movie for for Sony." Um, uh, and he was like, "Oh, what's it about?" And we told him like the one liner, and he was like, "You know, we're uh, Lionsgate is opening up a low budget division uh, right now. Would you guys could I read the script?" And we sent him the script that Friday. And on Monday, before we signed the Sony contract, he was like, we want to make you a deal. And they offered us, they actually offered us like the budget we needed and, and more. And we got, you know, everything we needed. And we were able to go film, you know, one of one of their first and only movies from their from their long ago shuttered um, indie, indie low budget division. Um, and uh, and so it, it was great. And it was an amazing experience getting to make that movie with you know our loved ones and our friends and um doug doug is in it he's one of one of the stars of the movie he grew one of the worst beards of all time to play <laughs> to play a, a a wannabe drummer in a band um and uh and it was an amazing experience we made it and then um we applied to uh you know all the festivals um and um and I, that's not even true we applied to we, the the first you know round of big festivals like Tribeca, Sundance, uh, South by, um, maybe one or two others, and we got into South by, and 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 um, and that was where we sort of, you know, came to uh, came to premiere the movie, and 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 that sort of South by led to we were able to um, kind of piece together a a a. a, a sale to hulu where they ended up streaming it for a little while and but it recently lapsed that deal so please go find the movie on amazon <laughs> wow that's crazy that make, that's to answer your question i don't know if there's any other questions to that 
<laughs> yes, I'm I'm just glad you guys are not 600 grand in debt. So I'm glad that's how oh, that out. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I was sitting on the edge of my seat for a minute. I know, I know. <laughs> I feel much better. Thank you. I remember also just from a, yeah, go ahead. But I was just saying from a screenwriting standpoint, there, there is something kind of liberating about, and, and, and a good exercise in terms of looking at a movie and being like, what is the $600,000 version of this movie? What's the $10,000 version of this movie? Is there a thousand dollar version of this? Uh, uh, in terms from a writing standpoint, and sometimes those limits budget wise can, can be helpful in looking at your story and thinking about, uh, can it sustain for less locations? And and what does that do to the structure? And what does it do on a scene to scene basis? Uh, and is it, or, and sometimes it can't, because sometimes it can, and that's not a, a knock on the story, but it, it, it there's some, there's, it's very interesting uh, exercise to do. And I think it's helpful. And those limitations can, can really open the door for other ideas too. Awesome. That's my little nugget of shit you didn't ask for. <laughs> um, kind of cutting back to, to Crazy's Girlfriend, Rand and I are huge fans of the show. Oh, uh, thank you. I remember when she won the Golden Globe, like that was a big deal. As a fan, I was like, yes, Rachel won. I remember I went, I saw, I saw an evening virtual bloom at the Largo, I think it was, at the end mm-hmm. of season one. Um, so anyways, uh, I want actually, personally, I want to know how did you meet? Um, and then also what was the workflow like? With you? Um, well, I mean, funny enough, Rachel and I met uh, in the same sketch group that Doug and I started at NYU, Hammercats. Right. Um, and um, we, uh, Rachel became the director of it after I graduated. And we were friends for many years. And, um, and then and one thing led to another and we started kissing. <laughs> um, and, um, and, uh, and, you know, so we, we have always been um, sort of, collaborators and cre- and creative uh creative soulmates and people who like really it's it's our favorite thing i mean we talk about comedy and writing and and musicals and all that stuff pretty much every day all day it's just the the texture of our of our long running conversation um and so you know uh and then you were asking what the sort of process was uh from from yeah. love to TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. From love to TV, our 20 years in Hollywood. That's yeah, the exactly. name of the year. I mean, so, you know, Rachel, Rachel uh, specifically, uh, me and a couple other directors that, that she knew, um, we would, we'd help her make these music videos um, for like original songs um, that she had. That was a big part of her sort of journey was like, recognizing like oh like i'm i'm here at ucb with all these other comedians uh what differentiates me from them and um and a big part of that journey was like figuring out like oh like i i she would keep her sort of musical skills in a box separate from her comedy and eventually like when she realized like how much they can and should be married it really things started really quick for her and um and so she would make these like amazing comedy songs and music videos. And, and then, uh, you know, would for years, she, uh, she had t- two or three failed uh, musical comedy pilots, stuff that like either were bought and no one and were shot and no one picked up or, or stuff she sort of tried to take out with other people to sell. And they were all great in their own different ways. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, but, but the, you know, the tastes in Hollywood are very cyclical musicals at the time were um were really derided and um and so nobody really took it very seriously even though she had really developed a pretty like legit online following for this sort of stuff um it should have been enough proof of concept but the tastes at the time were not like enough there uh and then you know like la la lands is part of like this like little shift in the culture where like she was developing it around the same time and um and uh and and then Aline Brosh McKenna and her met kind of randomly after Aline saw one of her music videos. And Aline is it's obviously this like you know world beating screenwriter for Devil Wears Prada and many other things. And um, and they teamed up on this crazy ex girlfriend idea. Um, and it was like this really wonderful marriage of like Aline's sort of rom com tastes with Rachel's really weird subversive musical energy. And um, 
and uh, and it became this beautiful show. And you know, Doug and I were were there from the beginning, helping out and you know, filling in the the gaps wherever wherever they they needed help. Um, and so we kind of did everything on that show in in weird little bits and spurts. However, it needed that you know. I was a terrible actor on the show and uh, had several. I actually played my own evil twin. Um, so, you know, uh, thank you for those sag residuals, Aline and Rachel. <laughs> uh, but was Doug a good actor on the show? Doug, you played. No, Doug was very good. Doug played. <laughs> Doug played. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm a mediocre actor. I, I played. Uh, I played. Uh, Rachel's nemesis from growing up, her uh, husband. Yes, yes. Um, um, but yes. Did you have a beard? No, I went sans beard, which some would say hurt my performance. Yeah, I'm, a, a- I'm a mostly, you know, yeah, uh, facial hair inspired actor. And, and the, the, the hair does most of the work for me, the heavy lifting. So yeah. I was a little too naked for that one. But yeah. Next time, uh, next time. <laughs> Yes, I, Rachel has my number. It's weird. I have, it hasn't hasn't rung recently, uh, but she knows she knows where I am. Um. Uh, all right, my nerd question for you guys is: Do you each have a favorite song from the show? Um. Yeah. Um. Uh. I. Uh, I mean, this. Uh, you guys, I guess, are are like legit fans, so I can like. Get in there. Um, uh, oh my God, I think I like you is like oh, to yes. me the the catchiest bop on that thing. Um, and I find myself singing that. And then I will say um, the song that I I actually most legitimately like have playing in in my head the most often is um, the techno song from Pete Gardner uh, having a few people over. Yeah. Um, uh, I find that to be a very functional song in my life where like, where anytime like someone is coming over, I am saying it to myself. Um, there's so many, I mean, that what Rachel and Adam Schlesinger and, and Jack Dolgen did musically on that show is I think underrated still. Like, it's just like, it, it, it's, it, you cannot get your head around how many amazing songs they came up with. It's, it's too many. It's actually like fuck you for being that amazing at this this thing. I mean, their hit rate is insane. And Jack Dolgen, who I moved up to LA with, I drove in the car. is one of our best friends, who is a collaborator with with Rachel, and you know became you know moved his way up the writing staff as well. Uh, directed Dan also directed episodes of the show. But so I'm, I'm a huge fan of the songs. Uh, I think the one that sticks out for me is also probably because of my love of, of Jack so much is the uh, I could, but who cares? Is that what it's called? I, I could, if I wanted to, I could, if I wanted to, which is, which is exactly, you know, Jack's brain like spilled out just in, in music form, which is like, I could, but who, you know, like, and it's just it's performed. So, so great. It's got the, the Bruce Springsteen kind of vibe a little bit. Uh, he's, and uh, so that's the one that that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, I agree. Hey. There's so many gems, so many. But gems. there's there's too many there. I mean, there 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 are so many, and I I know we'll get off, and I'll be like, oh shit, I should have said because they really are. Yeah, I, I've been, just um, too many to count. I've been really like just completely tickled and overjoyed with how much traction some of these songs are getting on TikTok. Like from people who really like have, don't even know what the show is or have any idea that it comes from a show, but like like uh, Friendtopia is like a big TikTok hit where like people like line up in like their like their girl groups or anybody is just like i'm the brainy one i'm the evil one you know i'm the sexy one and uh it's it's very fun and um and uh i have friends i definitely have friends is a is a very big tiktok i have friends is so so funny to me it's great i have friends really and it's such a such a great rachel energy song like it yeah you know rachel like and that's one the, the wonderful thing about crazy ass for many reasons is it really is like and i haven't worked on a ton of shows but that that show is rachel bloom like in the greatest sense it's it is this is what her brain is like and it's wonderful and weird and funny and sweet and it's and and the fact that she was allowed to explore like her own mind and make a show about it is is it still blows me away that they let it happen and it's magical 
And, uh, but like that song really is really, is so funny and makes me think of Rachel as just, I can hear Rachel's voice as a person just talking <laughs> in that, in the, with that kind of messaging. Totally. Um, you all, you're also on How I Met Your Mother. Can you talk about the writing room for that? And also just by chance, did you know Joe Cristalli? We also have Oh yeah, Cristalli. We had him on as a guest a few months ago. He said terrible things about you guys. No. That sounds like Joe. That sounds like Joe. Uh, well, his whole fucking career is a sham. I can't, I don't even know how he got, no. Uh, Joe's amazing. Uh, he said the Joe's, same thing about your career. Oh yeah. yeah well. Who are we going to believe? Yeah. Uh, probably him. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's great. And another great example of someone who just like had a real silly, dumb idea with that Twitter account, um, and, and, and just killed it. And it led to amazing things. Um, I'd say to talk about, uh, how I met your mother, we were, uh, Dan and I never thought that we would be, I don't think we just never talked about being, uh, staffed. It was always seemed kind of like impossible and we were making our own stuff and we were, we kept set. We, we were fortunate enough to sell a couple of projects where we were attached to star and produce and nothing ever got made. And, uh, our agent at the time, uh, sent it, sent a script to how much mother they were looking for writers with specifically with, with helicopters over their head, Jesus Christ. Um, with, uh, and they were looking for writers with, with New York dating experience and, and Greg and I had just, we're taking out a show at, with IFC, uh, basically about that. Um, it's called and we uh, got it. Uh, "Banging My Dick Against a Wall." Was the stage I, show? I was, was going to go ahead and not uh, tell them what the name was, but go ahead. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, we uh, we we got the job, and it was it was just amazing. We, it's where we learned how to write. Honestly, we were, and it's. It was just a murder's row of writers, writers from from Frasier, from Arrested Development, from just everywhere were there. And the higher living single and uh, full house, a couple real nineties gems. You 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 write what you can write on. I mean, but these. Oh no, that wasn't that wasn't. Oh okay. I was was bragging. I mean, living (laughs) singles, fucking fantastic. Um. Uh. And they were just also gracious to us as staff writers and uh, allowed us to, to grow. And we, we got to watch over a hundred episodes of television be broken and, and, and learn how to do that and churn them out. Um, and so it was, and to this day, some of our closest friends uh, we met there and still talk to all the time. So working in How I Met Your Mother was- From Joshua Tree with uh, two of the other writers, yeah, Matt just got Zimman, back from Joshua Craig Tree this Gerard, uh, and Matt's in a beautiful, beautiful birthday party for the boys. Yeah, and the, and they started the same year we did, but they had been assistants on the show, and so it, yeah, it was we're gonna have a metronome. You couldn't have asked for a better situation where you could find your voice and help tell stories and see how the sausage is made, how you actually build a, uh, an episode from the ground up and work it and work it and work it until it becomes a product. And we got to be in the editing room and we got to be on stage and doing punch up structure. We did everything. And uh, so that really was, that, that show really made us in, set us on a, a course that I'm so grateful for. It was, it was the best and fun and just and a dream job. <laughs> That's awesome. So I guess the story checks out. Joe also said it was a great job. All right. Thanks for confirming. Um, He finally tells the truth for once. (laughs) We talked about a lot of great things today. Thank you both. We are running towards the end of our time, but something we like to end on is we like to ask our guests what their favorite TV show is now or of all time. This is so tough. I'm not going to give you one answer. I can't give you one answer. I won't do right, it. We'll take top three. Um, right now, I'm rewatching for the third time Deadwood. Um, uh, uh, Sopranos, I've watched five times through. Uh, uh, those shows to me are like, it doesn't look like a gold standard. Um, 
uh, and I can watch, I could watch Frasier whenever. Yeah. So the, I guess that's what I'll say now and I'll regret it immediately after I get off. There's, there's so <laughs> did, many more, but. Did Joe influence you at all? <laughs> or is Twitter? Did Joe influence me? Joe didn't oh. even know what Fraser was until Doug met him. <laughs> yeah, he did not, but I was a very big fan as soon as he started doing it. I was, I, I, lo- I looked forward to his tweets because my, because of my love for Fraser, and I thought, and I really did. I, wa- I read them and thought they were so dead on, and and how he, he was great. Uh, so no, but he did not influence me in that way. No, I will not give him that credit. I will give him credit for a fantastic idea and even better execution. But uh, yeah, and Frazier is just a, just if you haven't seen Frazier, I, it it just it's 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 a beautiful show. Dare I say, it's some of the best performances. A show called Frazier. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people haven't seen it. I mean, that, uh, of of a certain generation, obviously, it was went for nine, eleven years, whatever. Those are my. But th- not the geriatric men or uh, uh, old stop millennials. You better stop. Oh, sorry, <laughs> decrepit millennials. The Capilanials, that's it. Yeah. Both of these are making me sad. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, go for it. Oh, no. Um, I mean, uh, I just finished the dropout. It was fucking great. I loved it. Um, I thought that was really delightful. I, I really liked it a lot. And uh, I mean, my uh, Seinfeld and Arrested are my two favorite comedies of all time. So Seinfeld. there's that. Um, can't really argue with that. And um, uh and then, I mean, I guess, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Breaking Bad's the best show of all time. The best, best show, whatever. What a boring answer. Um, <laughs> Not boring. Oh, and I'm watching, I'm watching Atlanta right now, and it's just, it continues to blow my mind. Mm-hmm. This season is unreal, I think. So. Well, thank um, you, Dan. Shark Tank. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, love Shark Tank. No. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us today and sharing all your stories and experiences. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure a lot of people will also appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you guys for what you guys are doing. This, the community that you guys have built, it's really, it's something special and it's exactly what writers should be doing. I think. Thank you. Sharing their work and hearing it out loud is the best. We hope, we hope to be like your UCB uh, teams. All of them, all of us get writer jobs and love each oh, other. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I can I just say I will say like I, I the comedian Gil Ozeri is a good friend of ours. He was coming up with us, and I remember he said in this very de- depressed sort of way. He said he was like, "Look around here. Well, how many of us could actually make money at this?" And he was like, and and he was really serious. He was like de- depressed about it, and and, uh, and I was like, I don't know, like what if we all did and and. Gil was like, it was like, what, at best 10%? And he was so wrong. It was really like <laughs> mo- most of us like found a way to make a living at it. And, um, and, and, and I bring that up to him sometimes because I'm like, you know, this was, this was, it was good that we all stuck with it because it worked out. Yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. bad. Yeah. Well, thank you again. It has been such a pleasure talking to both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Check out the movie on Disney Plus. Yeah, Yeah. Rescue Rangers. (laughs) Subscribe, rate, and review for more episodes. Thanks for listening to the Deadline Junkies Screenwriting Podcast.